The bear. I got this at Zara's. I think it looks good. Also, it's Zara. Without the mess. Zara. The first one. Because I only went to one, not multiple. Hi. Yo, what's up? What's up? How's it going? Are you going to drink your coffee? It's way too hot. I'm just going to pretend I'm sipping. (sighs) (laughs) So the point of this episode is... Hi, everyone. My name is John. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is John. (laughs) Okay, John, first, let's start with you introducing yourself and your career in nursing. Um, Hello, my name is John. Um, I went to a nursing school at Cal State Long Beach. Um, It was, it's quite a fun time, actually. Um, It's when, it is when hospitals used to pay for your, your uh, program. So I never had to pay anything for my nursing program. Plus my mom paid for my nursing program. So what I ended (laughs) up happening is my mom paid for it. And the call and the hospital paid for it, Long Beach Memorial. So I threw my mom a big party when she turned uh, 40, I think. Oh, she is maybe 50. I think she's 50. She was 50. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So after, so a hospital paid for your nursing school? Yes. There was a time when uh, that was incentive. You sign a, two-year contract with them which at the time we were like i don't want to work for a hospital for two years that's a long time the moment i hired hospital the moment i was hired there was a short uh hiring freeze throughout whole of california so all the nurses had a hard time getting a job and i was like sweet i got paid and i have a job which is cool we started with like seven nurses honestly to be 100 percent honest that sounds like a good deal now i would take that deal yeah, they paid for your. They paid for three years of my uh, nursing school, um, bachelor in science, and um, I. You know, a lot of people have loans. I've never had a loan in my life, so it, that's it's awesome. pretty good. Yeah. So, where was your first job? My first job, I that was for that same hospital that um, paid for my schooling. It was a contract for Long Beach Memorial on their pediatric hospital, which was Miller's. Miller's oh, Children's cool. Hospital. You got into a pediatric hospital right away. That's pretty good. When I was in, um, when I was doing my, it's not residency. What do we call it? Preceptorship? I think some people call it residency. When a student nurse like studies um, for their last year, they'll pick a, a course, whatever it's ICU or if it's uh, uh, pediatrics. Mine ended up being pediatrics. And it was funny because it's, it was a night shift. They didn't really offer night shifts to students back in the day. But I was like, sweet. I love nights. So forever night shift. So it was a pediatric, just regular hospital floor. Pediatric, um, general, med- medical, surgical floor. So have you always done that or did you switch to something else? I have did that for like uh, maybe eight years. Oh, dang. Took some time off, went into pre-op PACU. Then I went into, <laughs> I work <laughs> on uh, the emergency department of my current hospital, mm-hmm. pediatrics. So you work with kids and you work in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's in the middle of winter. 
It is in the middle of, it hasn't even been winter. It's still fall. Well, it's kind of starting to be winter. I yeah, guess. it's an early winter. What would you consider winter? And what would well, you I consider think winter? Technically, winter starts like December. In December. It's in December, January, February is what I consider winter. And okay. it's already November and it's already pretty bad. So we're transitioning into winter, which is makes breathing difficulties more frequent. Uh-huh. And people are also in school. Yeah. which makes breathing difficulty more frequent and people get sick and we're post covid which means immune systems are kind of down because of all the isolation which is that, making people sick that is a point um post covid sickness is an interesting topic not a lot of people do understand um the idea that 2 years after the pandemic has uh, set in in a setting where the population has been avoiding um, the the common cold, common viruses, now that all of that um, mandatory masking and stay-at-home orders are gone, you're noticing that children are and even adults are being exposed to these viruses again. And because they hadn't had the t- two years' worth of immunities built up, they're getting super sick. And that's something that I'm not sure a lot of the main population notices is happening. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because it's normal for kids to get like, it's in the teens. It's like 13 to 17 viruses a year a or year. something. Yeah. So two years, a kid yeah. misses like more than 20 of those viruses. He probably gets sick maybe once a year. And now his immune system is not developed as much. Yeah, and and we're 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 experiencing a, it's we call it the backlash from COVID. It's similar. It's the viruses aren't inherently deadly; they're treatable. The inherent deadliness of the situation is when too many people get sick at one time, and there's not enough hospitalization hospital capacity to treat them. And that was the true danger to COVID. Not the yeah. disease itself. It's just a lack of supplies and equipment. So this is basically what we would, you know, understand as COVID for pediatrics, even yeah. though it's not COVID. The and situation it's all is three similar. of those factors that we talked about, plus more, contributing to so many people getting sick at once. I mean, honestly, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of adults sick, that, like, more frequently. Like some people I know, like adults have gotten like four viruses already in like six months. And I, I don't know. I don't know what the stats are for adults with viruses. I could look it up. Like you mean just a common cold virus like Rhinoentero? Yeah. I mean, it's not well documented because it's not well affected. It doesn't impede on your, on your wellness. Like most people with a cold will still show up to work. Most people, adults with RSV will still show up to work. It's rarely that it leads into something debilitating. The more common viruses that can lead into something like that will be the influenzas. Or maybe like those viruses could lead to pneumonia. That's when it gets bad. Yes. Yes. Like, and that's um, when it gets bad in kids. Immunocompromise, especially. Yeah. So how do you feel right now with all these three factors combining going into this crazy winter? How do you feel as a ER nurse? There's a little bit of a stress, um, stressors involved uh, treating everyone appropriately and making sure that every kid is seen in a timely manner. 
um, barriers to that is when there is a shortage of resources, uh, human resources, to move patients from the emergency department to the floor. So what I mean is when you're sick with one of these respiratory viruses, and when these respiratory viruses cause um, you to be put on oxygen or high flow, we transfer you um, and admit you to the floor. Now, what we're experiencing is uh, on a nightly basis, there's not enough nurses on the floor or maybe not enough beds to go around where the patients who are supposed to go on the floor just stay in the ED for eight plus hours. And that becomes very dangerous to kids who are coming in or maybe what if there's a trauma that happens or an arrest that happens and a kid will come in and there's just no place to have them sit or have them be treated. You know, it, we're always talking about it's not a matter of it, uh, if, it's a matter of when we will we will come into an issue where what happens if we don't have a place to put a really sick kid, you know? And that's what the real stressors is about uh, for us nurses and for the doctors even. And it it's it's exactly the stressors that I would feel during COVID for adults. Yeah. And I think another dangerous factor to that is research shows that the longer an admitted, so you go to the ED and the doctor decides, oh, you need to stay overnight in the hospital. You get admitted. You get an admitting order and you wait for a bed upstairs. Research shows that the longer they stay, once they get that admitting order in the ED, the worse their outcomes are for ICU patients, which doesn't mean we're bad nurses. It's just a whole different type of nursing that we don't know. Yeah. Um, it's it's all about the resources. You know, one unit maybe just have more resources or equipped better to deal with another unit. You know, an ICU mm-hmm. unit doesn't necessarily mean um, it's... It ha- it an ICU unit doesn't mean the unit's better capable than a floor unit. You mm-hmm. know, it just means that people targeted to the ICU unit need more, more frequent monitoring. Like I send an asthmatic to an ICU unit, you know, it's more because they need more frequent monitoring before they're more stable. You know, um, and it's just like different abilities too. Exactly, like, skill set, skill better, mix. But it's like I, you cannot throw me in an ICU because I would not know what I'm doing as an ED nurse. And I'm sure someone from up on the floor couldn't come down to the ED and know what they're doing. Like, it's just a completely different skill set. It's a different skill set, training. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's impossible to get trained on all the floors because in the ED, we see all the patients. We see the ICU patients. We see the NICU babies. We see like med surge patients. So it would be impossible for us to get trained for every floor. Uh, you know, there's this famous saying for ED nurses called the jack of all trades, master of none, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I don't like how it talks about that we're not a master of any trade, but I do think that it's an accurate representation of we kind of know a little bit about everything because we have to know a little bit about each floor, but we aren't as good as those nurses on those floors because they're so specialized. Yes, it's a, it's a specialization that actually makes a hospital run. And, you know, if you don't have those specializations, there's no way to train all that, um, like, like say, hemo, hematology, oncology nurse versus an ICU nurse versus a operating room nurse. You know, it, that's a lot of information 
for for one nurse. Um, if you have the skill set, that's okay. But it's a way to when you specialize, it makes better excuse me better outcomes in general. And I mean, it's not even just with nursing. Like doctors specialize. You have ICU yeah. doctors. You have yeah, everything, everything so, from trades. You even have respiratory therapists, techs, yeah. like everyone yeah. specializes. So it's not just nurses. Mm. That's interesting. How how do you feel going into your shifts? Uh, like emotionally, mentally. I usually work three three shifts um, in a row. The first shift, I'm really exhausted. I try to get through it, and then the, the middle shift is. You already went through one. You just try to survive. And the last shift feels like, uh, you know, you can pretty much take care of everything, you know. But there's sometimes when the first shift really throws something um, difficult at you. Maybe there's a patient death or maybe it's just there was no resources one night and going into the other two shifts, you're just, just doubly exhausted. Um, yeah, I try not to over over let that affect me overtly but you know nurses need to take their breaks nurses need to go on vacation and 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 because we do face what is called care burnout and care burnout is when you're exposed to all of these uh situations these tough situations and eventually just you're not as effective because of all the baggage that nurses put on i believe and I think people are like, oh, they only work three days a week. They have four days off. But um, even sometimes those four days aren't enough to balance out and give you the energy you need to go back to those three shifts. Yeah. I mean, the first day after a really tough stretch is basically a recovery day. So, yeah, we're working four days a week almost. And you're crazy because you, know? you work night shift. Yeah. Night shift really, um, it, it's hard because you, you have to, uh, when you wake up, it's nighttime and you have to get back on a regular schedule. So you lose a day. I And that's why I need coffee. A lot of coffee. <laughs> Which I overheated for you. Sorry. How about yourself? What's new with you, Laura? I'm hijacking this interview. Well, it's all about you. That's why. I'm oh, hijacking. it's all about me. Like my Paddington. <laughs> Ladies is from Zara. Singular. <laughs> Singular. Do you like my ER nurse? I wore it just for our episode. Where do you get at your merch? Do you have any merch? Huh? No, I should. Yeah. I feel like it would be cool to wear a sweatshirt that said, let's chat healthcare. I would totally wear that. I would love it if that was a more positive minded, yeah. like, let's chat. I feel like if I wore a let's chat healthcare in public, a lot of people have a lot more negative things to say. Oh, well, the problem is it's become so politicalized when it should really get back to the basics of everyone deserves to be cared for and we need to figure out the best way to do that yeah politics monetary management you know uh, it's it's really tough I, I i really do miss the days or i was too young for those days where nurses just yeah. were nurses now we're like case managers now we're trying to figure out the resource management but it'd be nice to just we're just getting more awesome and getting less less paid <laughs> for all the awesomeness we do which is okay. What it, what would you say is the most difficult part of your job? The most difficult part of my job, I think it's trying to be caring and empathetic when um, a lot of times you're dealing with patients who are a lot of fear and they're challenged by those stressors. 
you know, when your kid's not doing okay and their kids like even has a cough or mild fever that can take someone who might as might be a you know very nice person into a very rude person or into a very scared person and that gets challenging because we just want to care and we want to make things better but when we're thrown into situations where it's you don't know what's going on i can see how um those situations for the parents at least can be very explosive and and trying to put out fires that don't have to be on fire takes a lot out of the job because there's a lot of education in in uh, for people outside of health space that what what is dangerous and what is not dangerous especially with pediatrics with adults uh, I'm not too familiar with but especially in pediatrics so you're kind of saying that you feel like the most stressful part is um how people come into the emergency room because they're having an emergency and that stress just gets really overwhelming and can cause you to act in a way that you wouldn't normally act. Yeah. And the problem is that might be like a one time happening for that patient. But for us, we're seeing it on a regular basis and it becomes every day for us. We witness those once in a while stress moments and it's like, how do we handle dealing with that every shift? What 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 is your biggest piece of? What would you say helps you with that, or helps you get through that? Uh, just a reminder to myself that these are humans that you know they they're acting their certain way because they really care about someone they love, and try not to feed into that because it's easy to step over the line and be mad at someone. Or, you know, and take it out on them when, you know, how would I feel in their situations? Now, that being said, there are boundaries that you need to protect in the nurse-patient um, dynamic, the nurse-patient relationship, and any boundaries that are overstepped where there's patient is becoming more violent or more abusive needs to be suppressed immediately. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, just to be more empathetic if they are having a hard time and step away and let them have their space, maybe listen. But it's not always the case. Sometimes patients will get violent. Sometimes they will accuse the nurses of doing substandard care when they have no control over situations. Yeah, I think for me, shifting the perspective of, or just like realigning, hey, this is my everyday, but this is their once and they have to bring their kids to the emergency room. This is their like once in maybe a year or whatever stressful time, like shifting that perspective really helps me. But um, what I think is interesting is like some hospitals will put out um, because of the violence that happens, especially in the emergency room, because it's such a stressful place to work, there can be violence towards nurses, whether it's verbal, even physical. I have been scratched. I've been kicked in the stomach. Like I've been turned around and tried, the person tried to put the IV, like, like stab me with the needle. Like I personally myself have experienced that. And like, so, for example, Massachusetts General just put out this patient code of conduct um, in the beginning of this month about, like, offensive comments, um, refusal to see, like, physical or verbal threats or, like, 
like physical violence. But the problem is like, how do we enforce these? Because the thing is, I feel like a lot of places are like, for example, like the most common no shoot, no shirt, no (laughs) shoot, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Like they can not give service to someone. But in the emergency room, it's literally illegal and as it should be for us to refuse service. So I think the problem comes with how do you enforce that because you can't turn people away. Yes and no. Um, there is no tolerance for threats in the hospital, you know, and that's that's the I don't know how much that would affect Mtala laws, but from what I understand, it's from that point they're not able to be reasoned with and it's no longer uh, seeking care that's the issue. It's a threat to the staff, you know. It's like would you admit someone into the ED if they were holding a gun? You know, if it is that an EMTALA law? Like so, EMTALA, just to clarify, is a law that says emergency rooms. I think specifically can't turn away patients. Which I just think it's a really fine line between violating EMTALA and holding, like keeping your staff safe. Like I think that's a really difficult line to draw, and I don't think that there's enough. I don't think there's enough awareness to the topic and I think if people talked about it more maybe people would realize that this is something that's happening and needs to be addressed because yeah you can put out these policies you can put out these code of conducts but you need people that are there enforcing them and you need to create that type of environment from the start yeah you know what's funny there's actually another layer to this conversation as a pediatric nurse because most of the violence doesn't come from the patients itself mm-hmm. it will come from parents That's or loved a great ones point. yeah so what would you do say if there was a parent that was acting up and it's their kid that were we have to see you know if the, another parent was there if there was two parents we would suggest one parent is no longer allowed inside mm-hmm. they are not allowed on the campus because they made verbal threats gun violence or whatever but we'll still still see their kid you know, but that parent is definitely not allowed. Right. And you know, what's crazy as I don't know how you feel, but as ER nurses, like I've worked at three hospitals and I don't Uh feel like I've ever gotten adequate training on like, I've gotten like de-escalation classes, but I don't feel like they're real life. And I don't feel like they're from people that have worked in the emergency room. There, there's a funny, um, you should definitely look into working or moonlighting at this hospital um, in downtown, not downtown LA, but LA, um, the county system has a really good hospital and their training is really good because their on, on-site backup is sheriffs. I know they have literally a sheriff assigned to the emergency room. Yeah. So I used to work there um, for a few, for, for like a year or something. And, you know, um, they're, the way they handle situations, they have their own code team for violent behaviors. Uh, they call them the code gold team. And it's a group of nurses, behavioral therapists, staff, you know, social worker that is trained to safely intervene with this population uh, that is being aggressive, violent, whether it's a patient or a staff. Um, otherwise, you know, we... We let uh, law enforcement handle it, and law enforcement has a very much more reach than a common um, like security contract. And also, they don't have that conflict of interest of being the healthcare provider. But I do think a lot of hospitals have those code, code like calls, 
code calls in the hospital are like, hey, there's a fire code red. red." Yeah. So like I all the hospitals I've worked at have had those. But honestly, whenever I've called those, I've still felt like I'm the person leading the code. And I think that that point that you made about having a completely separate third party is like a really great idea because I would love for someone, a third party to come in and just deal with the situation so I can continue doing my job. No, it's, it's, it was definitely cool to watch them. And, you know, um, the nurses would be called from the psych ward, you know, people that have like training and that type of thing. They have that pager, you know, I've seen the trainings, you know, they would say one, two, three, four, and that corresponds to each limb. Like, so one person will say one, and they know they're the left arm, right arm. And the way they go and to the patient is very swift and safe that the patient doesn't have. And even calling that before it gets to that physical violence level, like I've had patients threaten me from the waiting room, and I wish I could call them at that time to have someone who specialized deal with it. And then move on and be able to do my job. And I think that there is a certain level of that at the places I've worked. But having a whole team, I think, is really. Yeah. And and not making it a secondary team. You can't just call a code team. Oh, the man, nursing manager and a few other people. No, it should have like, you know, your code team from the ICU is your code team. You know, Mm -hmm. there should be a dedicated team that's like, today you are part of the code team. Today you're part of the trauma team. That is your role, you know. I think that would be cool. I would like to do that job. I I would think that hospitals could learn more from the training. I I did enjoy being, because I also did work at the psych ward at uh, at that facility. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I worked at the jail ward. I enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, setting boundaries in a setting with inmates is pretty interesting you know and you probably learned a lot and like having people like you with that training being on that code team i think would be like crazy awesome because i've only worked in emergency rooms like i don't have that training yeah i mean it's hard when it's just one person because you need a whole team yeah definitely there 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 are things you notice like sometimes oh we're just talking about like um like an active patient who is being violent there are times you know when this person will respond better to more people in the room, then they're like, okay, I don't wanna, I don't wanna cause problems. Or when and there are times when you're like, okay, more people in this room will be bad idea. You know, and then Well, they could have like a head code captain that comes down. But we don't need to get in that nitty gritty. Basically the ER is a really stressful place to work. And I think it's hard to be in that stressful environment. Yeah, I can't I don't know how George Clooney did it. <laughs> Do you know George Clooney? I know who George Clooney is. Yeah, I don't know how he did it. But I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> okay. He was in a show called ER. Oh. And so. Oh, yeah. I've heard not good things about that, so I haven't watched it. Well, you know, it's drama- drama- dramatized, of course. But sometimes not dramatized, dramatized in the right way. Yes, <laughs> yes. About the the interpersonal relationships and how people deal with stress. So here's here's a big question for you. Here's a big question. What's a big? Yes, after, I'm single, ladies. <laughs> after yes. all this, <laughs> it just shows you're a pediatric nurse. <laughs> what makes you stay? Heroin, lots of heroin. <laughs> um, because I I've I've have an addiction 
to eating and having a roof over my head, you know, so. But why don't you just go work on a regular, like a less stressful floor? Uh, politics? I don't know. Why do I stay on our specific ward or why do I stay at our specific hospital? Why do you stay in the emergency room? Versus going to a different I, I'll be honest. I was bored and um, on my original floor. You know, the ED, I thought when I wanted to get hired is, you know, I would learn more critical care experience. I would see things that would challenge me, make me a better nurse. And, you know, um, I'm still learning every day. And I think that's a part of my nursing is to do something that does challenge you. Um, and for me, it's that's what keeps me there sometimes it's not that it's it's hard but i still like the challenge i still like to realize that i don't know everything yet and every day i'm growing you know and that's just how the type of person i am it's not specifically the ed that is hard that makes me want to stay or my friends that make me want to stay but it could be just the idea that you know this is not easy and i want to learn it and then once I've learned all I have, then maybe I'll try something else. Yeah. Which will be never because you learn every day. Yeah. Or, you know, there'll be one time when, you know, I'll be charge trained and trauma trained and I'll be like, okay, maybe it's a good time to go back to school and um, try other things. You know, right now I'm yeah. still in my honeymoon phase with this unit trying to learn and grow. And um, the best part of your nursing years is, is going to, this is going to be like really like like shocking is those early years when you're you're learning so much i think i'm the safest as a nurse when i'm trying to learn and grow versus someone who's been there when you for feel a long like time. you know and i would say another thing to point out is that the emergency room isn't the only place that violent things happen and nurses on all the floors experience those things that we were talking about mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and definitely so um maybe even worse because for us uh they because we just see them for a second but up on the floor they create a relationship yeah um it is very challenging have i had encounters while i was a floor nurse where it made me worried for my safety um i think i know a few nurses that have had those experiences on the floor I think it goes back with ideas like certain families will uh, have a reactivity when um, they're to their stress. Like if your client is dying, if their kid is dying, of course, they can act more violently. Um, we were talking about politics. We we're talking about how the healthcare deficiencies exist because of politics and, you know, how nursing, how hospitals are reimbursed with a scoring system, you know. A lot of hospitals will send home a scoring system by mail Are you after about a visit. The scores? Yeah. And if you don't do. Do you want to know what's crazy about those scores? It's an option whether or not to share them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It should be transparent, right? I know. Those reviews should be. But have you ever done a review and you're like, I hate this place? One star review. You know, and then those one star reviews aren't really indicative of the quality of nursing. Well, if you look at hospital Google reviews, like a high review for a hospital is like a three. If if you got care and you're you you got better, that should be the most 
um, factor that would affect so reimbursement. Yeah, not not catering to customers. Yeah, because it's hard to do your job as a nurse when you have to cater to things that aren't nursing related. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So, in popular opinion, but that is my opinion. Interesting. Well, John, I felt like we had good conversations. I did. Did you feel like we got into the minds of an ER nurse? Yeah. What is your mind? What was our topic? Was this just free free topic or there was actually a topic? The current mind of an ER nurse. The, we, the current status, status of okay. an ER nurse. Dating an ER nurse. What what are things people need to know when they're dating nurses or dating an ER nurse? I should ask my husband. No. I'll interview uh, my you, husband. You know. You know what, what are things that you want your spouses to know? your husband's to know when you're dating. I would say the biggest, oh, those, I would say the biggest thing is kind of what we talked about where we, we don't kind of, we don't really live our life like this. We're kind of like extreme at work and then we come down and we need this at home. Mm -hmm. So, so you need a partner who is more understanding of that. Yeah. And someone that is able to help balance that because that's what I like about my husband and he does great at like knowing when I'm here, knowing, and then knowing when I'm here also and knowing what I need. I see a lot of times nurses dating uh, police, law enforcement, and firefighters. Why do you think that happens? I think it's because they also understand that life is like this and you just need to be flexible. This is true. Versus like my husband, my husband's job is pretty like this all the time. Stable. Like there's not a lot of variability. we have, I would say our jobs are stable. (laughs) We have pretty good job security, but I would say no var- variability. Like from his yeah. from his job perspective, he knows what he's going into. He knows he has deadlines. And, and like for you and me, like like you were talking about, like your shift can vary so much. So it's like being flexible and being able to adapt to that. Like that's the biggest thing for me. What what would you say for what was the question? What's your biggest tip for dating and for t- for dating a nurse? Um, nurses are very caring. ER nurse specific. Nurses are very no, caring. No, I don't want the PC. Nurses are very caring. I don't want the politically correct. This girl doesn't let me talk. <laughs> nurses are very caring, but they do experience care burnout. So don't go into it thinking like, oh, nurses are the most caring. We're just people. You know, sometimes we don't, we have to recharge ourselves. And, you know, if, if your significant other is not feeling well, Maybe you give them a little TSC or give them a little space. Don't expect like nurses to be like fetishized into the idea they're so caring and they're so considerate. We are. That's definitely not an issue. But getting paid to do that a lot and, you know, we sometimes need a break from it. And care burnout is a real thing. I would say your answer is why you're an ER nurse. Why am I an ER nurse? Tell me your perspective. Because you, because you like the crazy. I do like the crazy. Love the crazy. I am. I do like the crazy because it is it is fun and it is exciting in some uh, semblances. But and I think experiencing those things on a daily basis with your fellow staff members like creates this a type trauma of bond. bond. Yeah. My friend, uh, my friend Hannah, uh, she's We're an NP now. She she talks Shout about trauma Hannah. trauma bonding and um, yeah. That's, I would say we're all trauma bonded. And, and that's a thing. Like 
firefighters also get trauma bonded and police officers always get trauma bonded. Do you really want to go home and just talk about your day exactly. ad nauseum with your... Some people, some people like it though because you have someone who understands. But for me, I'm like, I have you who understands. I have other people. And then when I get home, I just want to talk about film because he's in film. <laughs> I just I want to talk about anything but ER. When when I was younger, a younger nurse, like maybe five, eight years ago, when I would go out to bars and I would meet other nurses, we would like end up talking about our job. And I'm like, I hate this. I hate yeah. talking about our Like whenever we hang out with a bunch of nurses, it's like all we talk about. You know. But I feel like that's normal. Okay, I think this is a good place to end. <laughs> ah, we could go into the really more fun topics. It'll be like a 6.5. John, thank you for coming on the podcast. This will never make the light of day. It is going to, actually. It's going to be heavily edited, I hope. John. There's no editing. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Heavily edited. They won't. They won't. They won't silence my voice. I'm going to start my own podcast called Dating a Nurse Podcast. Follow okay, me instead. Did you yeah. kick me out yet?